The Psalms uh, uh, draw us. The Psalms uh, awe us because they reveal so much of who God is, right? Uh, those, uh, then, uh, those Psalms evoke our emotions so that we can uh, direct them, so that we can aim them directly at the Lord who is the object of our affection. And so we find ourselves as we do this, uh, our souls are satisfied in him. And so we're in the Psalms this summer. Now, uh, what comes to mind when you hear the word grace? What, what comes to mind when you hear the word grace? Maybe it's a, a person's name, so that person's face comes to mind. Our, our second uh, daughter, her middle name is Grace. She, I think of her whenever I hear uh, that term, grace. Uh, perhaps it's the old hymn by John Newton that comes to mind. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Perhaps if you didn't uh, uh, grow up in the church, if you don't have much of a church background, you're kind of a blank slate when you hear the term grace. You're like, I don't know what it means. <laughs> I didn't grow up hearing that. Some of you may even have grown up hearing the, uh, the, the term, let's say grace, which means what? Pray. So maybe that is something that comes to mind when you hear uh, the word. And then maybe for some of you, that term, when you hear it, invokes a little fear because of how it's been used to sinfully take advantage of you at times. Well, whatever the, the word association that pops into the mind when you hear uh, the term, when it comes to God's grace, we just have this, this tendency to either you know, become numb to it or uh, misapply it or, or at times even cheapen it or, or even just to overlook it because it's become a normal part of our Christianese vernacular. The reality, though, is every day we live is evidence of God's grace. And I'll also add evidence of our desperate need for more of God's grace. And so like a stringed instrument needs frequent tuning, so our hearts need frequent tuning to the sweet melody of God's grace. And Psalm 86 here this morning does that tuning. It is uh, the, the tuning fork for our hearts, if you will. Uh, it's, a, it's a prayer and a, and a plea by David for God's grace. And I'll also add, it's a, it's a prayer of confidence and trust in the fact that not just the, that the Lord hears, but the Lord responds, the Lord takes action. And because we're no different than David, this prayer is our prayer here this morning. And so uh, what we're going to do is, is we're going to read this prayer together in its entirety, and then we're going to come back through it and make some observations about it as we do that. Uh, and so as I read this, this is a, a prayer, so I, I'll just ask you to join your hearts with me and silently pray this personally to the Lord as I read it corporately, okay? Psalm uh, 86, a, a prayer of David. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. 
In the day of my trouble, I call upon you for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. So teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life. They do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a favor, a sign of your favor, that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. And God's people said, amen. So we don't know much about the historical context of uh, this psalm. We're only told that this is a, a prayer of David and that he seems to be in some kind of trouble here. But even without the specific context here, um, I just wanna make a note about the, the, the psalms in general, the psalms writ large, the Psalter, the, uh, the 150 books of um, our psalms in our Hebrew Bibles or in the Old Testament. Um, they are more than just a collection of prayers and hymns. Uh, they're, they're part of wisdom literature and scripture. And so as part of wisdom literature, they're also meant to instruct us in the way of the Lord. And throughout the, the Psalter, we get vivid pictures of what a, a happy, holy life in God looks like as we draw near to him. And so we can bring this general context into Psalm 86 here because this, this prayer of David pictures this kind of nearness to God that leads to lasting happiness. So let's see this together this morning, okay? Now, the first thing that we need to, we need to take note here is that we desperately need God's grace. We desperately need God's grace in our lives. The, the opening title here uh, in the Hebrew text a prayer of David, which by the way, uh, we often overlook when we're reading this. We sometimes can think that this uh, prayer of David is just a title that was given by the uh, translators into our modern day uh, English translations, but it's actually it's right in the Hebrew text, a prayer of David. It, it connotes uh, uh, this um, uh, very personal petition uh, to the Lord. Also, uh, David addresses his prayer to Yahweh or Yavah. It's the personal name of God. And then in, in several places throughout this uh, prayer, Dave, David even appeals to Yahweh's steadfast covenantal love. My, my point here is that David draws near to God through this deeply personal and intimate prayer. Look with me here. It's uh, Psalm, verse one, Psalm 86 verse 1. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my 
God. You see, David uh, begins here his prayer with a request for God to listen and for God to answer his cry for help. He acknowledges that he's uh, poor and needy. And he, he also requests the Lord to preserve him. Save me, O God. And if we flip over to uh, verse 14, we understand why he's asking this. It says here, O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life and they do not set you before them. The specific problem here is that, is that uh, some evil men are wanting to kill David. It's almost kind of like, really? Take a number. <laughs> so many people wanted to kill David, especially early in his life. Now, I also want to uh, just point out here, in verse two, where David says, for I am godly, he's not puffing himself up here. What he's doing is he's, he's merely uh, expressing his devotion to the Lord, his trust in the Lord and his complete and utter dependence upon him. Now look here at what he says next in, in uh, verse three. It says, be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up uh, my soul. And David is, is asking for God to be gracious to him. In fact, um, grace is the primary thread coursing through this entire prayer, if you haven't noticed already. Uh, we see David uh, asks explicitly for grace in verses 3, 6, 16, and 17. And then on top of that, uh, we also see that uh, there are 13 times in this prayer that David petitions the Lord to apply his grace in specific ways. Hear me, answer me, preserve me, save me, gladden me, teach me, unite me, turn to me, so on and so forth throughout the prayer. I mean, this entire prayer is just saturated, soaked in grace. Which begs the question then, what exactly is God's grace? Well, grace in general um, means to, to show favor to somebody. So when it comes to God's grace, it is his unearned, undeserved goodness toward his creation. It's his unearned, undeserved goodness toward his creation. And so what David is asking for is God's good, unmerited favor to be directed straight to him. Now, uh, verse four here, David petitions the Lord for uh, the grace of gladness. Gladness uh, uh, here uh, has this idea of a, to make merry, to make happy, to be glad, to make glad. And we don't have time to, to really get into the, the weeds of Hebrew grammar here, but what's really, really interesting is the verb form of this word gladden here that David uses. Of all the, the, the 13 petitions that he makes for specific applications of God's grace in his life, this is the one that he emphasizes the most. How interesting, right? So there's this intensified request for soul gladness. So it's like, oh God, gladden my soul because I want to be happily satisfied in you. This is a, a poetic way of describing a happy, satisfying delight in God. And by the way, I'll just note that the Lord is both the source and the object of this lasting happiness. Which means this is not the, the, the Bob Ross, happy trees kind of, of uh, happiness and gladness that we're talking about here. And we all love us some Bob Ross, right? But that's shallow and surface. 
uh, surface level. And what we're talking about is a deep, soul-penetrating, soul-satisfying delight. And by the way, because we're uh, psychosomatic beings, body, soul, together, we find out that, the, in fact, the body can't live without the soul. When the soul is happy in God, the body follows. That includes our emotions. So question, is your soul gladdened by God these days? Is your soul gladdened by God? See, you may or may not be in a a good or happy situation or circumstance right now. In fact, your, your circumstance or your situation may actually be quite sad. And the thing is, is if the source and object of our gladness is our circumstances, then there can be no lasting joy because it will ebb and flow based upon the good and the bad situations that we find ourselves in. But, but, if the Lord is the source and object of our gladness, then it will be lasting because even when our circumstances change, guess what? God never does. Theological term for the day is immutable. He's unchanging. Thank the Lord for that. And see, David knows that the true source of lasting gladness begins with the object of his worship. And so what that means then is if if he's worshiping the Lord, if if, if the Lord is the object of his worship and affection, then he's doing what he was created to do, which is exactly what all of us were created to do, by the way. We were created with the number one purpose to worship the God of the universe, our creator. And so when when David is doing that, what he does is he he experiences soul-satisfying gladness in the Lord, irrespective of circumstance and situation. However, if he tries to find happiness in his circumstances, well, then he's going to find nothing but soul-crushing sadness. So, where is your happyometer this morning? Is it toward the, the sadness end of the gauge? Is it, if it is, then I suggest that that reveals our desperate need for God's grace. And also, maybe a little bit too much of us trying to find gladness in our circumstance. But if, if, if the, uh, your happyometer gauge is toward the, the uh, happy end of the gauge, then I suggest that still uh, uh, reveals that we have need for ongoing grace in our lives. <laughs> by the way, whenever we get our appetites whetted by the Lord's goodness and we taste and see that the Lord is good and we experience that joy and that happiness and delight that comes from that, it just drives us to want more. So how can we be confident though that God will gladden our souls with grace whenever we ask? Might be wondering that, it's a great question. How can we be confident? Answer, because of God's character. Look at what David does here in uh, verses five to seven. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. 
In the day of my trouble, I call upon you for you answer me. See, the, the, the reason David is asking for soul gladdening grace is because God is good and forgiving and abounding in steadfast love to any and all who call upon him. See, David appeals to God's character as the basis for his petition for grace. And by the way, he does it again here in verse 15. Look at what he says there. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and uh, faithfulness. Uh, here in verse 15, this is the most common description of God's character throughout the Old Testament. And it, interestingly enough, was first used on Mount Sinai, after God had freed Israel from slavery in Egypt, he takes them to Mount Sinai and it's first used by God himself when he's making covenant with Israel. You can go check it out in Exodus 34. So, so David uses this sort of covenantal description of the Lord in these two verses, which means he's likely also appealing to the covenantal aspect of his relationship with the Lord. Not just the character, but also the covenant. So it's like, God, I'm appealing to your character and your covenant with us as the basis for you to lavish your grace upon me. And because of these truths, God gives grace to any who call upon him. And the same is true for us. But do we believe that? Do we really believe that? I don't, I don't know about you, uh, but I often personally struggle believing that at times. I, hey, listen, I'm just giving you, I'm peeling back some layers of thoughts here and giving you a window to peer into some not so good thoughts in Chris Weisheim's uh, brain at times, okay? So don't leave me hanging up here. That was very lonely. Um, I'm being transparent with you in a safe space. <laughs> you see, often when I pray, might I say even corporately, when we pray, um, specifically for God's grace, I want him to apply his grace such that it, it gets me out of a difficult circumstance and makes my life easier. Now hear me, there is nothing wrong with praying and asking God for his grace to be applied in that way. There is nothing wrong whatsoever. And we should. But the problem is, is, if God chooses not to apply his grace to my life in those ways, then I can sometimes find myself thinking that God just didn't listen. God just must be so busy with somebody else's troubles or, or, or God just doesn't care. Or God's just being stingy with his grace. You have to recognize that sometimes God chooses us to, to leave us in a, a hard circumstance so that he can apply his grace in other ways. So how do I get on board with that? How do we get on board with that agenda, with God's agenda on that? Well, it starts with calibrating both our understanding and application of God's grace to what scripture says about God's grace. And, and scripture teaches that we're all sitting in grace right at this very moment. For example, do you think that that air you're breathing right now belongs to you? 
We didn't create the air molecules that our bodies need to stay alive. God did that. So then that means that the air belongs to him. And the fact that we're all breathing in right now what doesn't belong to us is evidence of God's common grace to everyone in this room and all of humanity. We're sitting in grace right now. We're breathing in grace right now. But God doesn't stop there. God has also given special grace. And this is the the kind of grace that's applied to all who place their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Scripture promises that God saves those who confess their sins and believe on the name of Jesus Christ by faith. It doesn't stop there, though. That's good. That's great. But then God uh, gives sanctifying grace to us all. And he's, he's, he's slowly, day by day, step by step, turning us into more, look, more, looking more like Christ. We don't have time to turn there here this morning, but I, I commend this passage of scripture to you for maybe personal study with the Lord here this coming week. It's Titus chapter two in the New Testament. Titus chapter two, verses 11 through 14. Summarized, it says that God's grace saved us And it is now teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And oh, by the way, it adds, it's helping us, God's grace, helping us to wait patiently for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Check it out this week. This is God's grace applied to us. Do we really believe that? Do we live like it? Are our lives characterized by it? Just gonna leave those questions there for you to talk about over lunch. So what happens when we we draw near to the Lord? We plead for his soul gladdening grace and then appeal to his character, what happens? The same thing that happens here in the Psalm with David we can praise the God of grace. It just overflows into praise and worship of who God is. And look at what David does here in verse eight. It says, there is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Do you see it? David just moves from from a a prayer of pleading for for God's grace and appealing to his character and and really beseeching the Lord for soul-gladdening grace to to now just going, hey, I'm going to worship you in this prayer, Lord. And he starts here with this this proclamation of God's holiness. See, God is, is morally pure, yes, but he's also completely set apart and unlike. He's incomparable. He's unmatchable, without equal, without parallel, unrivaled, unsurpassable. He's second to none. He's completely unique. And if we go look up the word supreme in the dictionary, God's name should be there. And because of his supremacy and because of his holiness, he alone should be worshiped. Not only by God's people. David acknowledges that All the nations, every tribe and tongue should worship and glorify the Lord forever. 
And we sang about it earlier and scripture teaches it, especially in the New Testament, that one day that is exactly what's gonna happen because every tongue will confess, every knee will bow and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Just hasn't happened yet, but it's coming friends. He's God, he's the only true God, and he's great and does wondrous things to display his supremacy. But David doesn't stop there. His worship continues here in verse 11. It says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol, or the place of the dead. See, because God is who he is, David can express this great desire to grow in his relationship with God by learning more of God's way and walking more closely with God and in his truth. Our, our praise of God, our uh, uh, telling of his greatness should just ignite a greater passion and a greater uh, desire to know him more deeply, just as it does here with David. And see, even in the uh, midst of, of his uh, little worship service here, uh, David asks God for grace by teaching and uniting his heart, which I, I, I love that. Why does David need to ask for God's grace to unite his heart? Because of sin. Because of sin. And David's plea for grace then is a prayer for God to produce in him a heart that is united. It's a heart that, that wholly and fully worships and glorifies the Lord. This is our need as well. Even followers of Christ still have dark, rebellious recesses in their hearts. It's why we can worship God this morning and covet this afternoon. And our hearts are not fully united to fear the Lord's name. We need God's grace so that we no longer practice Jekyll and Hyde Christianity. It's what the Bible calls double-mindedness. We need united hearts so that we can worship the Lord with every fiber of our beings, friends. And by the way, before we descend into despair over the remaining and indwelling sin that we still wrestle with as part of our sin nature, we would do well to remind ourselves that the gospel teaches us that our Savior Jesus did that for us. He never had a double-minded heart. He never worshiped the Father mostly. He never not uh, worshiped an idol Partially, no, he was never double-minded. He always worshiped the Father in perfect harmony. So even when the division in our hearts leads to sin, we can confess, we can repent, and we can rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ, knowing that the price for perfection has been paid in full, and there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We can trust that God's grace saved us by faith and that God's grace now is slowly uniting our hearts to fear his name fully and completely. We can walk in God's way and in God's truth by God's grace. Just like David is praying here, 
And you see, when, when, when that happens, it should just unlock, it, it should free up our, our hearts to just glorify and praise the Lord with joy and happiness and gladness over who he is and what he's done for us in Christ Jesus. Even though this is before the cross, David is worshiping the Lord, resting and settled in that confidence. He has faith that God's grace work will one day be finished in his life and he'll have a united heart. This leads us now to the, the final point here this morning. And it's this, we can settle confidently in God's grace. We're desperate need for it, but then after we appeal for it, we can worship the Lord because of who he is and because of who he is and our praise and, and worship of him, we can then settle confidently. We can trust in our faithful covenant God to answer. We can just dive in with reckless abandon to swim in the warm, refreshing pool of God's grace. Look at how David finishes here in verse 14. Oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life and they do not set you before them. But you, O oh Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me, comforted me. David notes that, as we mentioned earlier, that evil men seek his life. And so he appeals again to the character of God and then he pleads again, uh, makes a plea for God's grace again. He asks God to apply his favor specifically by giving him the strength to endure and to save him from his enemies. However, notice something that's very interesting here. He doesn't say, do it so that I can get out of this hard situation. He says, hey, show me your grace and deliver me. Give me the strength to endure so that my enemies would see it and be put to shame. Do you see? It's first and foremost about God's glory, not David. God's grace displays his glory. Man, that's challenging, isn't it? When's the last time we prayed that? <laughs> to make our, our motive for God's grace be first for his glory to be on display so that others may see, others may repent, others may savor, and others may, like our enemies, might be put to shame. Man, that's hard. And David finishes here with this sort of settled confidence in that the Lord will help. The Lord will comfort. He can look to the past to see that God already has done that when he's asked. But in fact, here he, he's trusting the Lord's character so much that it just makes him so confident that God will give him the grace. So he's asking for that as if it's already happened. As if God has already applied his grace in that way to David's life. Man, we should too. We can settle confidently in the God who gives grace and in God's grace. How are we to think about Psalm 86 in light of Jesus and the cross? 
Well, this is where David's plea for grace goes, uh, gets so amazing. You see, this prayer anticipates Jesus Christ. In fact, I was studying this passage this week. What came to my mind as I studied this psalm is Hebrews chapter 4, 14 to, to 16. You can see the text here on the screens. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now look at key in on verse 16. Look at this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Man, doesn't Psalm 86 with what David is doing, doesn't that just seem to point to Hebrews chapter four in this passage? And we live on this side of the cross. And so we can come in and, and, and boldly approach confidently approach the throne of grace based on the finished work of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 86 anticipates Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus where we see God's grace embodied and displayed most intensely. Jesus is the, the word made flesh and from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, scripture says. He is the greatest gift of grace that has ever been given. And I'll also add that Jesus also perfectly manifested the character of God that David is appealing to in this psalm. Jesus is grace, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, Jesus is compassionate, Jesus is slow to anger, Jesus is abounding in steadfast love. And Jesus here, by the work that he did, he ushered in a new covenant, a new covenant that has been signed, sealed, and delivered by his blood. And it's a better covenant than the old covenant. Why? Because quite frankly, Jesus is way better. That's what the book of Hebrews is about, that Jesus is better. And so now uh, God's covenant love is expressed through this new covenant. And nothing and no one can ever separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. It is permanent, friends. You can try to run from it, you're not going to get very far. It will never fail. It's never ending. And so when we come to Psalm 86, when we pray the prayer of David, we can do so with this gospel mindset. Our poor and, and needy souls are desperate for the grace of God, past, present, and future. So let this psalm just tune your heart to the beautiful melody of God's grace. And let's approach the throne of grace, confidently knowing that we'll receive help and comfort in time of need because of the work that Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Man, doesn't that just gladden your soul this morning? Just a little bit, maybe. Just give me that. <laughs> Certainly does mine. And so let's finish here by letting this, this uh, gladness of soul from drawing near to God this morning, erupt into praise of who he is. And so Lord, we're gonna finish here. We're gonna uh, worship you. We're gonna uh, glorify your name. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified, honored, magnified, and exalted. You alone are unique. You alone are worthy of our praise. You alone have saved us. 
by your grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. We have no hope apart from that. So God, might, might you uh, preserve us? Might you hear us? Might you be near to us? Might you, might you just gladden our souls a wee bit as we draw near to you and, and, and then uh, praise you and worship you? And Lord, might you also like, uh, uh, teach us more of you? Might you also uh, uh, just unify our hearts, Lord? Help us to walk in your truth day by day. Might you encourage us, Lord? Might you comfort us? Might you help us in time of need? Might you give us the strength to endure? Oh God, our souls yearn for you. We're desperate for you. And we praise you because we know you have heard, you will hear, and you will act on behalf of your children who ask. For your glory, Lord, might your glory be on display as you apply your grace to our lives in various ways, Lord. Might you put our enemies to shame and might you bring joy to our hearts through it. We pray in Christ's name, amen.